0: The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. If you have a cell phone with you this morning, would you just kind of take it out and, and hold it up and point it at me, would you do that for just a moment? Every age group has a cell phone, everybody has a cell phone. Have you ever noticed that cell phones, if you're not careful, if you don't have them on silent, they'll, they'll go off at the worst possible moment. Have you ever noticed that? I've been to funerals. They went off in the middle of the funeral service. I've, I've been in important meetings and mine went off. It's always they go off at the wrong time. Well, a moment ago, this happened to Charlene and I. Fortunately, I'd set my phone on silent, which I want to encourage you to do right now if you haven't. And I'll glance down and, and there's a, phone, a missed phone call from our oldest son, with a recording to it. Now, he knows good and well that I'm in church, and Charlene's in church, and I'm about to preach. And so for him to call in that hour, it must mean there's a crisis going on somewhere. So I quickly shot him a text. Forgive me for texting during worship. But I said, emergency question mark. And he came back and said, our 18-month-old grandchild had his phone, and she'd wanted to call her papa this morning. So, she had found his picture and pushed it in the contacts, and she left me a message this morning. I appreciate that. Take your Bible in hand and come with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Our text this morning that we're going to be studying in just a moment will begin with verse 4, but as you're turning to Acts 16, I want to direct your attention uh, to the screen to my left and your right. Who's your one? Uh, You'll remember About six weeks ago, we made a commitment unto the Lord that there was one person in our lives that we were going to be praying for. We would pray him into the kingdom, that we would share Christ with them as the Lord gave us opportunity. And and the names that you see on the screen before you are simply a sample of those names that you laid on the altar as a commitment unto the Lord. And so this morning, before we turn to God's word, I want us to pray collectively for our one. You remember the name of your one. I want you to pray for that person in just a moment. But perhaps you want to just select one of the names on the screen as well and pray that that person would not only hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but would step through faith into the kingdom of God, that they would trust Christ with their heart and submit their life to the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Would you join me as we pray? You pray for your one and perhaps someone whose name is on the screen. Father, we are praying for our, our one in this moment. Lord, we confess to you they need to come to the kingdom. And we believe you've placed us in their lives so that we can be a shining light, so that we can live the Christ life before them and verbalize the gospel to them. And so, Father, we lift up our one, prick our heart for our one, keep our one constantly upon our minds, that we might seek out ways to not only live for Jesus in front of them, but to verbally share Christ with them. Father, we claim our one in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would give us the privilege this year, in the coming weeks, to see our one come into the kingdom for your honor and for your glory, Father. We pray that in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 4, is one of my favorite passages in in all of the gospel for it is that gospel account of the, the message of Christ, Calvary, and the resurrection coming to the continent of Europe. Most of us in this room would trace our Christian heritage back to the story that we study this morning. And so in honor of the reading of God's word, I'll invite you to stand and read along silently as I'm reading aloud this morning. Beginning Acts chapter 16 and verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees, which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go down into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Verse 9 A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 14. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Father, would you take this text... Help it to live within our minds, but more in our hearts. That, Father, we might be like Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke at the conclusion of this message. That we might answer your call to go to certain places and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our prayer in Jesus' strong name. Amen. As you're being seated, I would direct your attention to verse 4. Verse 4 is the unfolding of this powerful story, this story of the message of the gospel making its way to the European continent. Verse 4 reads, Now while they were passing through the cities. To understand the power of this story, we have to go back to the pronoun they in verse 4. Now while they were passing through the cities. Go home this afternoon and take your copy of the New Testament and read Acts chapter 15. And what you discover is that at the end of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Silas begin what is known as Paul's second missionary journey. Paul has conducted his first missionary journey. He has gone throughout the known world of that day, proclaiming the gospel. Many have come to faith in Christ. Churches have been planted. And now Paul is about to begin his second missionary journey. Silas is his partner. You come to the beginning of Acts chapter 16, and Paul and Silas pick up a third person in their missionary team, the young man named Timothy. So when we come to chapter 16, verse 4, and the Bible reads now, while they were passing through the cities, it has reference to this three-person missionary team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It's so important for you to understand what is seemingly a simplistic fact, because later in the story, this three-person team will multiply, and I need you to see that. So, verse 4 now while they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were passing through the cities, they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number. They, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, verse 6, passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region. An interesting phrase in Scripture having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are headed to Asia. They're they're going to Asia to proclaim the life-transforming message of the cross and the empty tomb. They're going to Asia so that they can share the gospel with men and women, boys and girls, who have never heard of Jesus. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit forbids them from traveling to Asia. The word that's used there in the text is a very strong word. It's a powerful word. It means to deny, to prevent, literally to refuse. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are headed to Asia to preach the gospel, but the Holy Spirit somehow prevents them, denies them from traveling to Asia. He refuses to allow them to head to the Asian continent. Let's see what happens in the text. Verse 7. After they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. You can almost hear the wheels turning in Paul's head. Paul Paul is headed toward Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, no, Paul, you can't go to Asia. And so Paul pivots, and he says, well, if you can't go to Asia, I'll go to Bithynia to preach the life-transforming message of the cross and the empty tomb, the resurrection. That in Christ there is forgiveness of sin. In Christ you can be made new. But the Bible says this time, the Spirit of Jesus prevents them from heading to Bithynia. And Paul must be wondering, what is happening? I want to go to Asia. The Spirit says, no. I want to go to Bithynia. The Spirit of Christ says no." Ladies and gentlemen, what's happening in this text is that the Lord is gently yet firmly. Changing the direction of Paul's life. He's gently but firmly speaking into Paul's life. He he wants to change the direction of Paul's life. He wants to bring Paul down to Troas, because in Troas, the Father has a very special message to deliver to the Apostle Paul. And it is that message that I want us to focus on this morning. So Paul is headed to Asia, the Spirit says no. Paul is headed to Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus says no. Now Paul is being directed down to Troas. Come with me, verse 8. And Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. That's where the Lord has wanted Paul all throughout this story. Look what happens while he's in Troas, verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't miss what's happening in verse 9. In verse 9, Paul is still part of a three-person missionary team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But this vision only comes to the Apostle Paul. Silas does not see the vision. Timothy does not see the vision. The vision is the Father speaking into the heart of the Apostle Paul through this dream that's about to unfold in his slumber. We Baptists sometimes get a little bashful when people start talking about dreams and visions. But the truth is, in Scripture, God often speaks through dreams and visions. He speaks through dreams and visions in the Old Testament. He speaks through dreams and visions in the New Testament. And in this passage of Scripture, God is about to speak into Paul's life through a vision. The scripture says in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to recognize in verse 9 that while it is a man of Macedonia that is speaking to the apostle Paul, actually it is the Lord speaking through the man from Macedonia. Do not miss that in the text. This is not simply a man from Macedonia who comes to Paul's room in the middle of the night and begins to speak to Paul in the midst of his slumber. No, in verse 9, God is speaking to the apostle Paul. And he's speaking to Paul through this vision of a man from Macedonia. Now let's see what God has to say in this vision. Come back to verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him. The word appealing there is written in such a way it means to do something over and over and over. It's a participle. It means to do something over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And the word appealing that's used there comes from a word in the first century that literally means to beg. So in this vision, there's a man. God is speaking to Paul through this vision. There's a man from Macedonia, and he's begging Paul, and he's begging Paul, and he's begging Paul, and he's begging Paul, and he's begging Paul. What's he begging Paul to do? Come back to verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and begging to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. The two words, help us, that's used in verse 9, ladies and gentlemen, can literally be translated. Don't miss this. It is the heart of this text. It can literally be translated, run to the cry. Run to the cry. Here's what's happening. God is speaking into Paul's life. He's speaking through the vision of this man from Macedonia, and this man from Macedonia is begging Paul, Paul, run to the cry. Paul, run to the cry. Paul, run to the cry. Paul, I beg you, whatever you do, Paul, we need you to run to the cry. You hear the urgency in the vision? Did you just hear the urgency in the voice of the man from Macedonia? Paul, we need you to run to the cry, Paul. Paul, whatever you do, run to the cry. Charlene helped me to understand the power in this verse of Scripture. When Chip, that oldest son whose daughter called us just a few moments ago, when he was about four or five years of age, he began to play the greatest sport ever created by man the sport of (laughs) T-ball. You you know the sport of T-ball. T-ball, boys and girls play together, and and grandparents are there, and aunts and uncles are there, and everybody's enjoying the game. And and, and the little batter will hit the ball and, and run to third base, and everybody's okay with that. You just clap and cheer. And the next batter will, will hit the ball, and, and the base runner on the third base will run up to the pitcher's circle and, and just be just as happy and proud of themselves as they can be. And everybody's fine with that. Let an airplane drive fly over, and the whole game just stops in t-ball <laughs> as, as every child's just focused. That's t-ball. Well, Chip was playing t-ball, and, and as his father, it was my job to teach Chip how to throw and catch a baseball. And so we got out on the front yard, and, and Charlene was sitting on the front steps of the house, and our daughter was kind of playing in the flower bed. And, and I had a baseball, and, and I began to kind of soft toss it to Chip, and, and Chip would, would catch it with his glove. And the first time, he was kind of surprised he'd caught the ball, and to be honest with you, I was surprised he'd caught the ball. <laughs> But, but he got it and he threw it back to me and and I caught the ball and so I soft tossed again and he he caught it a second time and 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 now chips getting a little cocky he's he's caught two in a row he's been watching the Braves on TV so he starts imitating the big leaguers he's he's kicking his cleats and he's spitting on the ground he, you know he he's imitating the big leaguers so he throws the ball back to me and and I take a few steps back and I soft toss it and he catches three in a row. Now, now I'm getting a little arrogant. I'm thinking if I can teach him to pitch left-handed, he'll be my retirement fund if, <laughs> if I can do that. I mean, he's a natural. He's caught three in a row. So then I did something I shouldn't have done. All of you fathers know the mistake I'm about to make. I backed up all the way across the yard. He had caught three in a row. <laughs> And I took the baseball. Instead of soft tossing it, I threw it as high as I possibly could. He had caught three in a row. <laughs> and he did exactly what I would taught him to do, guys. You would have been so proud. He, you know, Chip, if the fly ball is above your shoulders, get your glove up so you can catch it. And he settles in under that fly ball. He has his glove up, and he tracks that ball all the way down Till it hits his four-year-old nose. And even from the other side of the yard, I saw blood go everywhere. He let out a scream. It was not that scream, my sister's playing with my stuff and I'm irritated. It was that scream that you mothers know so well. I'm hurt and I'm bleeding and I need my mama. It was that scream. And what I watched unfold, ladies and gentlemen, was miraculous. As Chip uttered that scream, I saw my wife, a humble homemaker, mama of two. I watched her become an Olympic sprinter. She jumped from the steps of the front porch. She raced across the yard so fast there was blue flame coming up on the grass behind her as she ran. When when I got to Chip, Charlene was already there holding Chip in her arms and saying some awful ugly things about his father. (laughs) But she had run to the cry. She had heard her son cry out in pain, cry out because he was hurting. And she had come as quickly to his aid as she possibly could. She, she did not stop to check on our daughter. She didn't stop to check the plants that were growing in the yard. She, didn't, she got to her son who was hurting and crying out in pain as quickly as she could. She ran to the cry. Ladies and gentlemen, that that is the heart of this text this morning. God is speaking into Paul's life, and Paul is saying, or or Paul is hearing God say to him, there are people in Macedonia who are crying out in hurt, in agony, in pain. And Paul, what I need, I need you, Paul, to run to the cry. Ladies and gentlemen, here in Emmanuel Baptist church, if we will... If we will turn our ears toward the Father this morning, perhaps we would hear him say to us, Emmanuel, I need you to run to the cry. Missiologists tell us that of the 7.6 billion people on planet Earth, 3.2 billion, listen, do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. 3.2 billion with a B do not know Christ. Many of those people, missiologists tell us, live in places on the earth and among people groups on the earth where they've never even heard the name of Jesus. They did not awaken this morning like you and and pass a dozen plus churches to come to your church. You drove to church this morning and and probably you passed Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and Episcopal churches and Catholic churches and other Baptist churches. You, You passed a host of churches to get to your church. They awakened this morning and in their culture, in their society, there is no Christian church. And there's no Christian preacher. And there's no Bible in their language And missiologists tell us that a large majority of that 3.2 billion people around the globe, they will live and die and never hear the name of Jesus unless the church begins to run to the cry. Missiologists also tell us that here in North America, in the United States and Canada, there are about 270 million people who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In North Carolina, we know from research there are 5.8 million people who are lost without Christ this Sunday morning. 5.8 million. Basically, a little more than one out of two of our population. When, when you leave this place and head off to the restaurant for lunch today, one out of every two people you see statistically in our state will not have a relationship with Christ. If they were to die today, their eternity would be spent in a place called hell, separated from the love of God because they know not Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is time for Emmanuel to run to the cry. Let me show you one graphic that maybe paints this picture so clearly for you. Look with me at the screen. On the screen this morning, you see right in the middle of the screen a red dot. That red dot basically represents the physical address of Emmanuel Baptist Church. That's where you and I are gathered at this very moment. From that red dot, you see a blue circle that is that is uh, transparent almost that represents a a radius of three miles from our church. And so this morning, you're looking at a map within that blue circle. If you were to drive from our parking lot three miles in any direction, you're within that blue territory on the map. And then you see that blue circle intersects with four yellowish circles, don't you? They overlap. Let me direct your attention to those four yellowish circles. The Baptist State Convention, on behalf of North Carolina Baptists, conducted research a few years ago to identify what we call the top pockets of lostness in the state of North Carolina. To be considered a pocket of lostness, 70% of the residents living in that circle have to be unchurched. Seven out of ten people, seven out of ten husbands, seven out of ten wives, seven out of ten children living within that circle must be unchurched. When we identified those 250 pockets all across our state, we labeled them according to strategic nature. With one being the most strategic and 250 being strategic but the least strategic. Here's what I want you to see, ladies and gentlemen. Within three-mile drive of our congregation, we intersect with four of the more strategic lost pockets of people living in the state of North Carolina. The four circles that you see, pocket number 10, pocket number 13, pocket number 15, pocket number 19. Let that sink Four of the top 20 most strategic lost pockets where people living in that area, 70% are unchurched, live within three miles of our facility. Ladies and gentlemen, is it possible this morning, if we'll turn our ears toward heaven, that we might hear God say, Emmanuel, I need you to run to the cry." Run to pocket 10, run to pocket 13, run to pocket 15, run to pocket 19. Carry with you the message of the cross. What I'm saying to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is that Emmanuel is strategically located to make significant impact for the kingdom of God and his glory. We have surrounding us people who are dying without Christ, all within the literal and proverbial shadow of our steeple. Perhaps this morning we just need to hear the Lord say, run to the cry. Well, let's come back to this biblical story and let's see what happens. Verse 10. When he had seen the vision, the vision was only for Paul. Silas didn't see it. Timothy didn't see it. When he had seen the vision, now now watch this. Immediately we sought... To go into Macedonia. When we began our study this morning, what was the pronoun we examined? They. Now we come to verse 10 and the pronoun changes to we. Plural, possessive. What in the world is happening? Here's what's happening in the text. Paul begins to share this vision with Silas and Timothy. And the human writer of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, is listening in. He's hearing all that God is saying to Paul. Paul, run to the cry, run to the cry, run to the cry. Paul, race to Macedonia. And Luke says, can I be a part of that? Can I join the team and race to the cry? Can can I join the team and race quickly to Macedonia with the message of the gospel? Dr. Luke says, I want to be a part of taking the gospel to Macedonia. Ladies and gentlemen, here's why this is so important this morning. At this point in verse 10, you and I enter this text. We saw in verse 9, we see by the graphic on the screen, that God is saying to Emmanuel, I've strategically placed you so you can run to the cry of hurting people, lost people all around you. Now the question is, will we be like Dr. Luke? Will we as a congregation throw our hand up and say, can can I be a part of that missionary team to carry the gospel to hurting people all around this church? What role can I play? What part can I play? Will we raise our hand and say, can I be a part? Luke joins this missionary team in verse 10. And when he had seen the vision immediately, we, plural possessive, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, don't miss this, to preach the gospel to them. Those four men discovered and decided that God called them to race to Macedonia, not just to alleviate human suffering, but to carry with them the transforming message of the gospel. They were to race to Macedonia, not to simply open a food bank and provide food for hungry people, not simply to build a home for homeless people. They were to take the gospel with them. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said it twice already this morning. I want you to see that it's in this story in the racing to Macedonia with the gospel by Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke that the gospel steps foot on the European continent for the very first time in history is transformed because of their obedience. Come back and look at the text. Let's, let's see what happens. When, when we hear God saying to us, run to the cry, and we respond, what happens? Verse 11, So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. What do you think Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke are saying to these ladies? I know exactly what they're saying. They're sharing the message of the gospel. They know God has sent them to run to the cry. They've concluded that when they arrive, they're to preach the gospel. Now they're gathered by this river with these ladies, and they're talking about the fact that only in Jesus Christ is forgiveness of sin received. That only through faith in Jesus Christ is life everlasting in heaven granted. That only through the Lord Jesus Christ, his crucifixion and his bodily resurrection, will they ever find peace and hope and joy? He's communicating the life-transforming message of the gospel. Look what happens. A woman named Lydia, verse 14, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. I love this next phrase. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the thing spoken by Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, when God's people run to the cry of the lost, sharing the life transforming message of the cross, the Lord opens the heart of those who hear the gospel message and they come to faith in Christ. The Lord is simply looking for people who will run to the cry. People who, when when they run to the cry, will bring with them the message of the gospel. And when that happens, he opens the heart of Lydia's all across the world and all throughout time to the message of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, you finish reading Acts chapter 16 when you get home and what you discover is Lydia becomes the first convert on the continent of Europe. And along with her house that's converted as well, they become the first Christian family, the first Christian foothold, if you will, on the entire European continent. And for most of us in this room, she becomes our great, 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 great great-grandmother in the faith. Without the obedience of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke who ran to the cry, we may never have heard the message of the gospel ourselves. And there are people all around this church who do not know Christ and they're waiting on us to run to the cry. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. This morning perhaps you need to run to Jesus. Perhaps like Lydia, the Lord is opening your heart to this message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for you. That three days later he arose victorious from the grave and that through faith in Jesus Christ your sins may be forgiven. You might have life everlasting and abundant life on this earth. Maybe this morning you need to run to Jesus. We'll stand in just a moment. We'll begin to sing in a moment and When we stand and you open your eyes, I'll be standing here at the end of this aisle to receive you. It would be my pleasure to pray with you. If you would simply come and say, Chuck, today, today I want to come to Christ. Today I want to give my life to Jesus, just like Lydia. Maybe you're here and your church membership is somewhere else and God is leading you in this interim season to join with this wonderful family of faith known as Emmanuel. Would you come this morning? Just say, Chuck, my family and I, we want to plan our life here in worship and service. We will welcome you with loving arms if you would come. Maybe, maybe this morning as we stand in a moment, you just simply need to bow your head. And you just need to say, Lord, help Emmanuel to run to the cry. Lord, help me to run to the cry. To people all around this church who desperately need Jesus Christ. Help us to find a way to run to the cry. Father, how I ask that you would move among the hearts and lives of your people. Bring us to the moment of decision today. And Father, like Dr. Luke, help us to throw our hand toward the sky and volunteer for service. Help us, like Lydia, to run to Jesus, to surrender our life to Him, to make Jesus our Lord, our Master, our Savior. Father, You speak during this time of invitation. Help us to respond. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chug Register, Interim Pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.